Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface, the assistant editor of The Mirror in Darren Lewis and TalkSport's football correspondent Alex Crook as the race to avoid relegation alongside Norwich hots up Leeds versus the drop Everton and their supporters breathe again. Ten points now from 12 for Mike Jackson since he took over from Sean Dyche. It's a proper relegation rumble. Chelsea lamped hard by Frank after a very warm Merseyside welcome and Burnley come from behind to condemn Watford to a record number of home defeats. At the top, City, well, they beat Leeds to land them right in it and Newcastle was swatted aside by Liverpool. The race for the top four is going to the wire. West Ham and Manchester United are out of it. So, which North London giant is going to be eating at the top table and who's going to be left scoffing the crumbs of the Europa League? We will get into it all, including to Ellen back. Why does no one want to go to Leeds United? It's the best review of the weekend's football. It's the game day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. And Darren Lewis and Alex Crook are here. And the first question has got to go to you, Crook, hasn't it? Because for so long, you've been the bane of Norwich City supporters' <laughs> lives. You said it after about three minutes of the season that they were going to get relegated. They weren't good enough. They hadn't tried hard enough to bolster their squad uh, in the summer. And they weren't going to be competitive in the Premier League. Uh, you actually went really strong, actually. I think you even accused them of cheating the system. But now they have gone. Have you had any apologies from Norwich luminaries or are they still banning you from the city of uh, of Norwich for the rest of your life? I, I think I'm still banned, but I did get a message from Brian Gunn, former Norwich goalkeeper, saying, fair play, Alex, you were right. He then had a bit of a pot shot because he said, you're just two months late. I said they'd be relegated by February. It's taken a little bit longer, but listen, they've been effectively down. I was going to say since December, but they've been effectively down since August. But they have set a couple of records along the way. The first team ever to be relegated six times from the Premier League and the first team to concede 70 or more goals in three different Premier League seasons. So congratulations, Norwich. Well done, Norwich. And we'll get into a little bit more about Norwich and what the future holds for them and whether or not they could have done a little bit more. And we'll look at some of their recruitment as well later in the pod when we talk about the relegation situation. Darren, what has been the highlight of the weekend for you? Just now, uh, Alex, um, talking about the message you just had from Brian Gunn, because I think he heavily edited it. And I wonder if there are a few bleeps in there as well. I think we could do a new uh, actual, a new series every 
Start of every season, Alex predicts and then see which manager is going to send him a text at the end of the season I, saying you I were think right. Alex bold claim is going to uh, is going to come back with a vengeance next next year. It was <laughs> a weekly event at one stage on this podcast, and we seem to have sort of lost it. We'll bring it back definitely at the beginning of of next season, maybe even before that. Uh, my highlight of the weekend was watching the atmosphere outside Goodison Park ahead of the game against Chelsea earlier today. Uh, sometimes we forget, I think, what football really means to people. Not quite religion, but for a lot of us, it is life, isn't it? It's, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's simply a reason for being every day. It's everything. And to those Everton fans, it certainly was. Some who overnight went a little bit too far and crossed the lines with the fireworks outside the Hilton Hotel, and it did cause a few players a bit of an issue going into today's game, according to Jorginho. But they more than played their part in what was a terrific victory over Chelsea. And it could be absolutely massive for them. It was a big, blue, proud day. Flares lit, songs sung, noise from early in the day. And they didn't relent when they got in the stadium as well. That was an excellent performance by the 12th man, the Everton fans. So well done uh, to them. And that is where we will start at Goodison Park. Welcome along to the business end of the season. Ball breaks to the right side. Case is the edge of the penalty area. Play on, gets it back from Shotter. Case around the goalkeeper. He sticks it into an open net. Every step they take, every move they make, every single day, <laughs> Liverpool will be stalking them. And that is Norwich, surely now relegated from the Premier League. Ings has got his goal. They seem to be too good for the championship and simply not good enough for the Premier League. Watford 1, Burnley 2, limbs in the away end to our right-hand side. Wolves nil, Brighton 3. Brighton, great value for the win, which seems to move into the top half. The goal, which may well mathematically make Crystal Palace safe, has arrived late. It's arrived from Wilfred Zaha. Southampton 1, Palace 2. Foden coming forward for City. Here's an opportunity. Gabriel Jesus makes it 3. They lost the lead at lunchtime. They're going to be top at bedtime. The whistles to the mouth, and when Goodison galvanises, anything is possible. Everton won, Chelsea nil. What a goal it is as well, Sam, and it is more problems for Arsenal. Spurs three, Leicester nil. This really is one of the best goals you will see this season. Son Heung-min with his second. What a huge win for Arsenal in their search for Champions League football. They've got Leeds up next. And then, of course, that North London derby on the 12th of May, which is going to be absolutely crucial. Well, what a performance from Everton and their players and the crowd. Uh, they proved that they had the heart for a relegation scrap with a rousing 1-0 victory over Chelsea on Sunday afternoon. Um, Goalscorer Richarlison and goalkeeper uh, Jordan Pickford the absolute heroes. Pickford was in inspired form from the, the minute the game started, and he had to be as well. But but this three points is massive, absolutely massive for Everton, uh, Darren, as they bid to stave off relegation. Yeah, absolutely. We saw the hunger, and the players really responded to what they saw pre-match and ahead of the kickoff from the fans. Seamus Coleman's interview post-match where he talked about the passion in the faces as well as the voices of the grown men and women singing ahead of the game to rouse the players. It told you everything. It reminded me of a big European night. It reminded me of the times when Manchester United would go to Galatasaray. I mean, there was a real intensity about it. And if Everton can continue making their home games difficult for their opponents as they did against 
Chelsea, they've got a real chance of staying up. Home form, considering they're so woeful on the road, was always likely to be their route to any sort of salvation. And 10 points from their last four games at Goodison Park, that's pretty damn impressive, isn't it? It's proved essential in just keeping them afloat in 18th position, because if they'd had have lost today, they would have been in serious, serious trouble. Victory means they now got... Um, a couple of teams, two points above them to target in the battle for relegation. Leeds United with a vastly inferior goal difference and Arsenal and Chelsea to play in the not-too-distant future. They've been dragged into the mire here by Everton, haven't they? They certainly have. And, and then the two home games that Everton have got left, I think I'm right in saying at Brentford and Crystal Palace, that yep. they go to Leicester, they go to Arsenal on the last day of the season, which is arguably their most difficult game. But we talked a lot in the, the podcast that we recorded on Thursday about scoreboard pressure. And there was real scoreboard scoreboard pressure on uh, Everton going into this game that Burnley win in such dramatic fashion over Watford almost made this a must win. And I commentated the game and I said to my co-commentator Sam Parkin at half time, usually a point against Chelsea at home when you're struggling at the wrong end of the table would be a great result. But this is a must win for Everton. And to their credit, they got the goal early in the second half uh, Silly error from Afpel Equator, but they were pumped up. I think they did tap into that uh, electricity that was generated by the crowd. You're right to pick out Pickford. I mean, he saved one with his face, which was absolutely incredible. He was a real leader. But for me, the unsung hero for Everton was actually Alex Iwobi because they changed uh, tactics a bit at times. When they were out of possession, they went to a back three. Coleman dropped into the defence and Iwobi found himself for much of the game playing as a right wing back and he worked tirelessly for the team. He did some fantastic defensive work and he's been a player who's had a bit of stick because of the price tag, because he hasn't necessarily lived up to that price tag. I thought he was terrific and I think they've given themselves a real chance. I change my mind every week. I think as we sit here now, leads the team who I think could be in big trouble. Yeah, Crookie's bold claim has been changed about seven times because he told us <laughs> that it was all done. Relegation was over uh, and that there was definite that Newcastle were going down, uh, Watford were going down, Norwich were going down. Then it was Norwich, Burnley and Watford. Now he's throwing in... Actually, you threw in Everton a couple of weeks ago. You thought that they were it was over for them. And now you're throwing in Leeds United. But listen, I, I think Leeds United are in a precarious position and we'll talk a little bit about them a little bit later on. But let's go back to those. You, you mentioned an unsung hero in Alex Iwobi. What about the sung heroes, the people we always talk about? Richarlison has been absolutely mm. brilliant in this recent run. He's got goals at just the right time when they needed them most. Four goals in his last five league games. That's imperative for a team that really need to start putting wins on the board. And keeping Yerry Mina fit, that is so important to yeah. him. He was rested against uh, Liverpool in the Merseyside derby. And he brought an organisation, a sense of sort of belonging to that defence that just isn't there, Darren, when he isn't there. Yeah, absolutely. And when you are in relegation trouble, you do need goal scorers. You do need somebody, not who's going to score the second or the third goal, but the first goal to break the deadlock, to give you the release from the pressure that's been building around the intensity of the game. I think he was superb yesterday because if you look at the manner of the goal, I mean, listen, we'll get to Chelsea in a second, but I think Chelsea are on the beach. I, I said that last week after the West Ham game. I still do think so right now, but that's not Everton's fault. And the hunger and the desire to win the ball and then put it away from Richarlison, absolutely outstanding. Yeah, I don't think Chelsea really can be accused of not competing. They competed well with Manchester United on Thursday. Probably deserved more than the point that they got at Old Trafford. They were better uh, than Everton over the course of the game in terms of football in sense. Jordan Pickford just stood up like a wall. 
No, I'm no, not sure I, about I, that, Sam. Disagree. Oh, I commentated the game. You're having a go, yeah. you're just having a go at Chelsea for the sake of it because you, you're you're annoyed about Manchester United. It's not, not having a go. You're asking us to analyse. You're asking us to analyse, and we're just giving you the, the, our opinion based on the evidence of our own eyes. And we look at this Chelsea team right now. We've seen them be far more consistent, play far better, far, far more intensity. On their day, if Chelsea are at it, they beat this Everton side three or four nil. But right now, they have lost their zip. They, have, they are making basic mistakes that they never make when they're on their game. And for me, I'm quite alarmed by the recent run of form. They drew against the worst Manchester United side we have all ever seen. And I'm not talking about in terms of individual personnel, but in terms of appetite and desire and commitment. They drew 1-1 at Old Trafford when everyone expected them to go there and win. I can't be having that Chelsea uh, being unfairly judged. Crook? No, I agree. I thought Kai Havertz was poor, just got himself uh, into a fighting match with Yeri Mina, one that he lost. Timo Werner, for me... Didn't cut it, isn't going to cut it in the Premier League. Now he's had enough chances. I think Frank Lampard admitted afterwards that his aim was to isolate Mason Mount, stop the supply into him. He did that. I thought Rudiger um, looked really harassed defensively, and you wonder if speculation about his future now is starting to affect him. I thought Azpilicueta looked like an old man, um, to be honest, at times, and it was no surprise that he was at fault for the goal. And I think that they've got a problem. They've got a problem in that they spent more than £200 million on three strikers who just aren't going to score goals regularly in the Premier League. I've mentioned two of them. The fact that Romelu Lukaku didn't get off the bench uh, when Chelsea needed a goal uh, against his former club, he's still Everton's record goal scorer. That tells me he has no future at the club as long as Thomas Tuchel is in charge. That looks like an irreparable relationship now. And you wonder how much money they will lose when they inevitably have to sell Lukaku in the summer. And I did say on the boot room, and I've said it to you, Sam, if this was any other season, if Roman Abramovich was still wielding power at Stamford Bridge, Thomas Tuchel would be under the microscope. They're miles adrift, 17 points behind uh, in the Premier League, a title race that they were expected to very much be a part of. They've surrendered their Champions League. They've lost a cup final. They will lose another cup final. I think he's fortunate that Chelsea are in such a state of flux. Ah, I think their football's poor. There, their football's poor. There, there it is, the bold claim. They'll lose another cup final. We haven't got anywhere near that yet. But that's uh, in a couple of weeks' time, and I'm sure that we'll talk about that in the build-up to it. The fact is, is they've obviously gone through a situation where there's a big transition behind the scenes. They haven't been able to operate in the way that would usually operate. They don't know about the futures of Rudiger, about Christensen. I mean, I know Afpilicueta has signed uh, a new contract because it was a deal that was done before the sanctions uh, kicked in. But ultimately, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about the club. So you can sort of maybe sort of justify some of the drop-off in performances and also the fact they can't really go anywhere. They can't go north or third. They could slip out of third position into fourth if there was a really bad run towards the end of the season. But I think they'll do enough to hang on uh, to third position and concentrate on getting ready for the FA Cup final. But we should find out this week uh, a bit more about Todd Bowley's takeover and whether or not it will go through before that 31st of May uh, deadline. And then we'll find out about his plans and whether or not he's going to support Thomas Tuchel. He's going to put his money behind him because, look, he's an excellent manager. He's a brilliant tactician. He led Chelsea to the Champions League final last year. And actually, had Chilwell not been injured earlier in the season, had Reese James not suffered with injury as much as he has over the course of the campaign, it might have been a slightly different campaign for Chelsea. But yes, they do need to, to kick on. Uh, Frank Lampard, uh, obviously was probably for one of the first times in his career quite happy about the fact that Chelsea didn't win today. Um, And he made a great point after the game, I thought. And that is, yeah, we've got games in hand over those around us, but 
what is a game in hand if you're at the, the bottom of the table? It doesn't really mean the same sort of thing as if you're Liverpool or Manchester City when you're expected to win and probably do win all of the matches that are put in front of you. But if you're Burnley, do you expect Burnley to win every game? Do you expect Leeds to win every game? Not sure that you do, really. So, I mean, games in hand don't mean as much at the bottom of the table as they do at the top, do they? Uh, let's move on to West Ham against Arsenal. It was a game that started very slowly. It finished in Arsenal victory. But despite Arsenal nudging themselves in front, they should never rest on their laurels against the West Ham team, even if they make five changes, uh, because um, they've taken more points from losing positions than anybody else in the league so far this season. That Rob Holding opener was really basic. The equaliser was a peach of a goal uh, from Jared Bowen. It was a team goal and it was really well worked. The winner was another failure of marking. Gabriel scoring um, ended up being the winner. But here's a question. Should David Moyes have picked the team that he did, Darren? Or should he have played the younger players? Should he have protected everybody ahead of Thursday night's must-win second leg against Eintracht Frankfurt? Um, no, I don't think he made a, that much of a mistake. I mean, if you think about it, Man United are playing so poorly that sixth place is there for the taking. And so had they won... They could have moved above Manchester United and that would have been a Europa League position by virtue of the Premier League and that would have constituted a really good season. And I think they've got to cover all eventualities. Yes, they do believe they can come back and win against a Frankfurt side whose home record in the Bundesliga and in the Europa League has actually been quite poor. One home win in their last 10 in all competitions. But I think as far as the Premier League is concerned, I don't think West Ham are any more about giving up the ghost. I think they want to compete on multiple fronts. Yeah, uh, West Ham face Eintracht Frankfurt on Thursday live on Talk Sport, and um, they have to come from behind. We've mentioned that. Actually, they, they had to come from behind in 1976 when they played uh, Eintracht Frankfurt in their last semi-final. They lost the, the first leg 2-1 and then won mm. the second leg and went through. A little bit of history, but possibly repeating itself, although... The two ties are reversed and they lost away and won at home, but they've got to do it the other way around this time. Uh, anyway, um, that's their route into the Champions League now, I think. Might be their route into European football. And I think it would be quite a disappointment if David Moyes, after doing so well over the course of a campaign, didn't then deliver European football uh, this season for West Ham United. Arsenal look like they're going to finish fourth, unless basically Tottenham beat them on the 12th of May, because that North London derby now, Crookie, is absolutely massive. Yeah, a television company will be happy. Tottenham have got Liverpool um, next up, so I think Arsenal have got a more favourable run-in, although if they get to the last day of the season and Everton need a result to stay up, that could uh, possibly pose them a problem. I, I was quite impressed with Arsenal today, because I think that maybe they will have been taken aback by the strength of the West Ham team, but I agree with Darren. I think David Moyes was right. Sixth place was up for grabs. Um, and I think there's a big difference between qualifying for the Europa League next season and the Europa Conference League. So I don't question his team selection. Um, but Arsenal, given the absentees, um, I, I think will be very happy. And again, there was pressure on them because Tottenham spotted Leicester aside, a much weakened Leicester side earlier in the day. I thought Nketiah did quite well, actually, without actually uh, sticking the ball in the back of the net. It felt like a significant win for Arsenal. I, I think they're favourites now for the top four but I do worry for them next season um, because if they're going into a Champions League campaign with Eddie and Ketty, who might not even be there because he's available on a Bosman, I've got a feeling he might now sign a new contract as their main frontline striker. They've got people like El Nenny coming into the team because Partey can't stay fit. It could be a difficult campaign, not just in terms of progression in the Champions League, but even the top four because Tottenham, if Antonio Conte stays, 
will be better. Manchester United surely has to be better. I kind of feel like this Arsenal team without major surgery has peaked. Well, it's interesting you say that because ultimately the idea was to trim the squad down to a manageable level to make sure that he kept everybody happy. And it was those who were swimming in the same direction as him that were allowed to stay and everybody else had to be shipped out. The issue with that is, Darren, that if you then do what you're supposed to do, which is qualify for the Champions League, which is what was the, the remit at the beginning of the season... When you get to the Champions League, you've got to spend a hell of a lot of money to make sure that you can be competitive in it. Because the last thing you want to do is turn up, uh, I don't know, Juventus or Sevilla or whoever else that you're supposed to be going to and, and end up getting whacked and finish bottom of the table. I mean, that that wouldn't be a great look, would it, after qualifying? No, it wouldn't. I mean, uh, let's not kid ourselves here. We're, we're presupposing a lot because there was a lot of football to be played. Yeah, they might not even get to the Champions League. Well, absolutely. There is absolutely no guarantee that Arsenal are going to do it. They've been very... Listen, it is, they are not to blame for this. I'll be very clear about that. They've taken their opportunity, but they're faced a weakened West Ham side today. They're up against a Man United side that have basically down tools on Ralph Rangnick. They played a Chelsea side who are, just have lost their way and their form. And that's what's constituted their last three wins. If you look at the three defeats before that, they're all against sides who are committed to actually giving 100% in those matches. But in the last three, they've benefited from a slice of fortune. That said, they've won. And that's what their job is to do. Now, go if they are to maybe consider a Champions League campaign, they've got to have a contingency list of players. And I would suggest four maybe, that they could bring in to the first team to make a contribution. Two of those would need to be strikers. Um, and that would give Enketi a lot to think about. And they've got to get somebody also who is going to be able to... Do you know, I think they need a left-sided player. Finally. I mean, it's just a personal opinion, but I think they need a left-sided player well, of left, quality. Left, left winger like Martinelli, who's been filling in that sort of situation, or Emma uh, yeah. well, Smith-Rowe's been playing there as well, haven't they? I mean, Tierney sort of plays as a left fullback Listen, that gets forward, but he's not fit enough to play 40, 50 games a season, is he? Absolutely. And, and not only that, you know, you've got those quality young players, but I think when you get into a Champions League, if you aspire to even be in a Champions League, you need experience. You need proper pros who are going to be able to take yeah, the lead. The ones that can the run the clock players. down and make sure that they get the fouls that they need to get. Don't get yeah, me started on that. Well, <laughs> you know, just make sure that you get over the line with it. I mean, that, that's what you've got to do. You've got to be ultra professional. You know, Arsene Wenger would love what they're doing at the moment, which is, you know, playing great football and uh, not spoiling games. Well, we had a text about that, as you know, on the boot room saying that if, uh, if they were playing in Arsene Wenger's back garden, he, he would shut the curtains. Uh, basically saying that they're managed by a, a combination of Simeone and Mourinho, I think was the, was the second manager mentioned. <laughs> I, I, Darren was getting so irate about this earlier on. He sent me this long text message basically saying that they're just, they're, 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 their antics are deplorable. Well, some people agree. Um, Arsenal fans, I have to say, have really bought into it. And I guess... Maybe that shows the fickle nature of football fans because this isn't the football they played under Arsene Wenger. It's more the football, I guess, they played under George Graham. But because it's bringing them success, I think they've been quite happy to leave their principles at the door. Darren, why are you saying staying silent? You can't just stay silent after throwing a grenade in earlier. You can't just do that. What do you but think no, the about it? Well, I think as far as Arsenal are concerned, 
it, it's been characterised as being streetwise. And to be fair, every club does it. It's just frustrating to watch. And it was frustrating to watch. But you'd have they a go at them if they the didn't line. show the nous that when they were leading in a game, they didn't get over the line and secure that fourth place or, or put another three points on the board to secure that that fourth place. You'd have a go. You'd say you'd say they were naive if they didn't do it. Well, you would have a go at them if uh, they were playing against your Chelsea team and you, you were 2-1 down. Well, exactly. Well, that's my um, job. <laughs> Listen, like I said before, you can't blame them for the quality of the opposition. You can't blame them for getting their noses in front and wanting to see it out. It is just frustrating to watch. That's all. Okay, well, listen, you don't have to watch it in the Champions League this week because the Champions League football comes from um, Madrid where um, Manchester City are looking to try and get past the champions of Spain and where Liverpool at Villarreal are uh, going to try and overcome a, a team that lost this weekend to Alaves. Uh, so there's every chance that they'll be going into the Champions League final um, to play with two English teams playing in uh, where, where is Paris, isn't it? Paris, the Champions League. Yeah, I think I'll go out for dinner that night, to be honest. No, no, you won't. You won't. <laughs> I definitely will. probably be playing pool or something like that. You're not going to buy a full dinner. You'll be Do you going know what? I remember when Darren's beloved Liverpool... Or something like that. When Darren's Liverpool played AC Milan in the Champions League final, I deliberately went out for dinner and we checked the score at half-time and said, oh, I think it's okay to go and watch this now, hoping to revel in Liverpool's misery. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that didn't work out particularly well for me. Oh, I remember where I was. I was in Southampton, actually, in a bar, in above Bar Street. And um, yeah, we watched the first half and sort of, I was at someone's birthday, sort of switched off, really, because it was 3-0 or whatever, and turned around. And everybody's sort of like getting on with the party behind me. And I'm just standing there, just watching the TV screen, watching it tick over, getting closer and closer and closer to penalties. Fabulous. Okay, uh, right, let's turn our attention quickly to Tottenham before we move on. Tottenham 3, uh, Leicester 1. Uh, Son's goal, the third goal, was absolutely fantastic. Him and Harry Kane uh, rediscovering their scoring touch after what was a, uh, a couple of matches where they looked a little bit off it. They didn't even bother having a shot on target in their previous two games. But their hopes of a top four finish were boosted by what was a, a reasonable performance against what can only be described as, especially after the last first 20 minutes, a pliable Leicester City, Darren. Yeah, they didn't really turn up for this. I think they've got their eyes on that second leg in the Europa League against Roma. And understandably so, that's going to be their route back into the Europa League. And obviously, if they want to attract players, then they've got to be in that second-tier competition. As far as Spurs are concerned, look, I was never concerned about them going a couple of games without scoring. They are just too good. And time and again this season, they've proven people wrong when they've suggested there's something wrong with that front line. Um I think that, listen, Kane and Son are the reason why I think this will go to the wire. I remember writing probably two months ago a match report about a defeat that they'd had because they'd made defensive mistakes yet again. And I remember writing at the time, if they're going to get into the Champions League, by some miracle, they are going to have to shoot their way into the competition. And that's exactly what they're trying to do right now. Because without those two, they'd have no chance with them. And Kulisevsky and Lucas Moura, they've got every chance. Yep, they have indeed. Uh, Leicester City gave away a couple of soft goals in the game. Um, real criticism for the centre uh, of defence where they looked a little bit soft they'll be delighted that Wesley Fofana can play on Thursday night that is uh, for sure right let's turn our attention to the title race and a massive game day 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. It's showtime. Falls to Jesus inside the area, who turns the ball brilliantly into the net via a deflection, and Manchester City take the lead. How dare we even doubt them? Liverpool are now on top. Manchester City can go to the top. Oh, what a goal that is by Bernardo Silva. Curled into the top corner. They are wonderful front runners. Not only two of the best sides in the Premier League right here today, these are two of the best sides in Europe. Hardy and Madison moving into the box. It's Lockman who's picked it up. Lockman! Leicester 1! Liverpool now! And Liverpool are going to lose ground potentially on Manchester City who go to Brentford tomorrow night. De Bruyne with the cross in towards the near post. There is Foden and Foden with such a calm finish. It is Brentford nil, Manchester City 1. Right but he drive into the corner. What a glorious goal from Kevin De Bruyne. It isn't over but unless Liverpool can raise themselves it soon will be. Right now Manchester City have a 13 point lead. Bump in the road for the Rolls-Royce at the top of the Premier League table. Towards the far post, Kane is there and he's headed it in and now this time he's certainly won it. And Liverpool will have a game in hand and Manchester City to play. Hey, hold it, we've got a title race. This is going to be three points for the side who are chasing Manchester City. Crystal Palace nil, Manchester City nil. Fernandinho in his farewell season. Is it to be a title season? Well, they don't walk alone, do they? They walk side by side with Manchester City. What an atmosphere at St James's Park it was on Saturday lunchtime as Liverpool racked up a 13th win in 14 league games. And although both teams weren't at their best in this match... It was a significant win, wasn't it? Because this could have been one of those tricky ones, I think, that Jurgen Klopp's team had to negotiate on their running crook. Because ultimately, when we looked at the fixtures prior to you know the beginning of April, we saw that Liverpool had to play Everton. They had to play Manchester United. They had to play an informed Newcastle United. Well, they've got rid of all three of those now. Yeah, and we spoke last week and I suggested this could be when Liverpool's challenge unravels a bit. I felt that Newcastle were capable of getting a point. Yeah, I had to say I was a bit disappointed. A bit disappointed with the lack of ambition. A bit of backtrack now. A bit of backtrack. Well, no, I, I just, you know, they're safe from relegation. It was an opportunity to flex their muscle a bit. And I just felt they were a bit timid. It was only 1-0, but it was it was as comfortable as 
a 1-0, as you will see. Well taken goal by Cater. Uh, good refereeing in this game, actually, because I, I was listening to you on commentary, Sam, or your commentary highlights anyway, and I think you were of the belief that maybe there was a foul in there. I, I think the referee got it spot on. It was actually an excellently timed tackle. So, you know, we, we've been quick to to have a go at referees and officials this season, so it's only right we give them credit as well. But it, it was more comfortable for Liverpool than I expected. Obviously, Newcastle play Manchester City next time out, so they are going to have a say in the title race. But given Eddie Howe's record as a manager against Man City, I think they'll swap them aside as well. Uh, yeah, listen, that goal, I must admit, when I first saw it, because I was watching it from behind, um, Milner goes in, Cher go in, you think, whoa, that, that, that that's going to be pulled up, especially seeing as Cher wheeled away in agony and then couldn't move. So the game then develops and you think, oh, they'll come back and look at that or they'll stop the game. He didn't do either of those things, allowed it to progress. And actually, it was a really well-taken uh, goal. Um, but actually, I mean, we didn't have the, the luxury of a monitor. But ultimately, once the delay was over and we saw it again, I mean, we saw it again at halftime. I mean, it was nothing in it. Actually, if it was anything, it was a foul by share on uh, James Milner. So the referee did very, very well in that particular instance. I will talk a little bit about a referee that didn't do too well in just a second. Uh, but Liverpool did win on the on the scoreboard and on the XG and on every metric, really. And they are seven games from the quadruple. It's outlandish. It's impossible. We're constantly told these things will never, ever happen. But every time you see Liverpool, Darren, it becomes a little bit more believable. You missed the word unbearable from that list of adjectives. <laughs> You'll be going oh, out for dinner going, that Brian. day if they end up winning the uh, the Premier League as well, won't you? I'll be going to Australia and not coming back. Yeah, well, we might, we might get that jacket. lucky. You never know. <laughs> we almost got you to become a bin man the other week, which would have been cracking. Here's what you could have I think as far as Liverpool are concerned, normally with us in the media and you know, all of us, we all work in the media, there have been times when teams have been touted to do the quadruple City a couple of years ago, uh, Manchester United in 99. No and one's got fallen. this close, Darren. No one's got no this one close. has got this close. close. And if you look at the way that Klopp is managing his sides, he has that in his mind as well. Five changes at the weekend. Three of them were the best players on the pitch. Gomez at right back for Trent. Alexander-Arnold was outstanding. Uh, Milner was outstanding, obviously winning that tackle, as you've been saying, to start the move for the goal. And Cater's goal... You could have been forgiven for thinking that was a control of a Sadio Mane. Yeah. The composure, Brilliant. the finish, the touch, everything about it, outstanding. And I just think when you look at the fact that he can make so many changes and there's no discernible drop in quality, the confidence they're playing with at the, as well, 21 clean sheets in the Premier League so far this season, Villarreal are going to get put to the sword. Let's not kid ourselves in midweek. Listen, there's every chance they could do this. And I think then they would have to be crowned the greatest English team of all time. And you won't stop talking about it, Crook. We'll have to get Something somebody to else to, to do this podcast if that is the case. <laughs> Because um, surely once that has happened, there's no point in you ever watching sport again, Darren. That's it. You might as well oh, really, just no. retire. No. But look, look, actually, actually, just on that before we go to Crook, I think we all watch sport full yeah. stop to see the very best, whether it's Roger Federer in tennis, whether it's Franklin horse racing, whether it's Lewis Hamilton. You want to see supreme excellence. And we, are, I think we will only recognise what we're seeing. And I bring Man City into this as well as Liverpool. I think we will only recognise how good 
uh, title race we have and the consistency of the two teams we have in years to come. This is a real golden era of football and Liverpool are proving to be one of the finest sides we've ever seen. And I think that, yeah, we will start to appreciate them if they do this in years to come. Yeah, I mean, the truth is at the moment they've only won one trophy. Uh, Manchester City fans will be screaming at their iPods, iPhones, whatever they've got, going, hold on, you do remember we won the domestic treble not so long ago. No one ever talks about it. Why on earth aren't you bigging us up? Because they themselves could still go on and win in what could be an historic double winning the Champions League. But Sam, I just said, like I just said, I bring Manchester City into this. I I literally just said that because I think they deserve credit too. Um, and, And this is my point. They are so good that some people maybe take them for granted, but bear in mind, they could win a fourth title in five years uh, if they were to win the title this season, and they deserve massive credit. And in my industry, the newspapers will devote acres of newsprint to, if if they were to do it, the fourth one in five years, even if they were to win the Champions League, the holy grail they've been trying to win for so long, they will get the love, trust me. I think if Liverpool were to win all four, they too will get the love. But overall, they both deserve immense credit for giving us what we've had this season it's going to be a brilliant end of the season if you're a Manchester City or a Liverpool fan not so much if you're a Manchester United fan um, I was just thinking about Darren's tennis analogy you know you, you could say that, uh, that Liverpool and Man City are the Federer Nadal do we make Chelsea Andy Murray very good but not quite good enough I don't know. Listen, remember, when you're League, talking about Chelsea, exactly, League. you're talking about the defending the European champions. champions. The world world champions. Champions. Don't give me world champions. Oh no, no, no. they could be no. Djokovic. We could, Wait, can we call him Djokovic? Didn't, didn't Chelsea win the world uh, championship without without get going out of the FA Cup? I think they did, didn't they? Amazing, really. Um, quick word on uh, Jurgen Klopp. He was a bit tetchy afterwards. I think sort of underscoring just how much pressure there is. Um, it's not all flash who smiles and I feel fine. He, he sometimes does get a little bit tetchy. I know Crook's, Crook's had a, a few run-ins with him uh, over the years. And he's um, he, he sometimes just you know, just gets a little bit stirred up by something that someone said to him. And he, he interrupted me halfway through a question because he was like not having any, any anything of it. But he, he's got that drive. He's got that, that, that sort of bit between his teeth. And obviously, he signed a new contract uh, this week as well. He believes the impossible is possible, I think, deep down. I think that's one of the reasons why he's so focused and concentrated going into the last few weeks of the season. As I mentioned earlier on, their game against Villarreal is live on Talk Sport on Tuesday night. Villarreal lost to Alaves with a much-changed lineup at the weekend. Right. To Leeds, Manchester City have now gone a club record 16 away games without defeat. 13 wins in that sequence as well. And they were ultimately very strong, too strong for Leeds United. But tested them a little bit, must must admit. It was a spicy game because the referee let too much go. Right from the off. He was allowing tackles that should never have been allowed. He should have pulled out a card a lot earlier than he did. If he had done that right at the beginning, then we wouldn't have been in a situation where Stuart Dallas ends up diving into a challenge that he couldn't win and injuring himself. That guy has has sustained a femoral fracture, which is a broken leg, against Manchester City. He now faces a really long period on the sidelines, but I don't think he makes that challenge if the referee had been stronger. Now, I'm not blaming the referee and saying it's all his fault, but ultimately, he should have made sure that that game's temperature was taken down a lot earlier than it was, Crookie. Yeah, and there's a fine line uh, between being combative and showing commitment, which I think Leeds have done since Jesse Marsh came in there 
and just being over aggressive. And you know, Patrick Vieira alluded to it after the game on Monday, said that Wilf Zaha took such a kicking at the hands of Leeds that he wasn't fit enough to start the game against Southampton. And um, I do think it's a bit of a throwback the last couple of performances uh, for Leeds, that dirty Leeds tag. Uh, in the 70s, I think at the moment is, is rightfully uh, coming back into force. And we gave Leeds a lot of credit last season. Some people even said they were becoming everybody's second favourite team. That clearly can't ever be the case because ultimately they're still Leeds United. But they did play attractive football. They're trying to kick their way to survival now. I thought some of their tactics were a disgrace against Manchester City, to be honest. And you're right, the referee should have called a halt to that far earlier. Uh, but, but they're certainly not winning any admirers for the way they're going about their business. And as I've already mentioned, I think if we're talking about a team who might go down, you look at their goal difference record, the fact they've lost two key players now, Stuart Dallas, partly of his own making, Liam Cooper injured in the warm-up. You look at their run of games, I think it's Arsenal and Chelsea next two fixtures. Leeds are banging trouble. And the way that they tried to to batter Manchester City physically, I think a lot of people would say good riddance at this stage. Jesse Marsh has come in, obviously, he needs to make them a little bit harder to beat. That's definitely true. We needed to close the door because they were conceding far too many goals. But like he was uh, mouthing to the fourth official during one part of that game, it's not a foul, it's not a foul. Well, clearly, it was a foul. You know, ultimately... There's certain. I think he got a yellow card as well halfway through the second half, and he couldn't understand why it was because of the protocol that if your assistant is a bit of an idiot and he needs a yellow card, actually you have to take one for the team because that's the way it works. He wasn't aware of that, uh, but ultimately, you know, they've got to make sure they stay within what is acceptable rather than straying into the unacceptable because no one wants anybody to get injured. I feel really sorry for Stuart Dallas today. Listen, I agree with a lot of what you've said. I would just throwing a however a word for Leeds um, because I think Leeds don't have the technical ability of their more illustrious opponents from the weekend so they have got to go out and set out to stop them and there is a fine line between stopping the opposition from playing their natural game and doing what we saw at the weekend I totally agree and listen for obvious reasons I know you've got to predicate the fact that you've uh, your, your analysis of the referee's performance with uh, by saying, "Look, he's not to blame," but you're right. If he clamps down earlier, we don't see what we did see with Dallas. And it's a real shame, and we all feel sympathy for him, regardless of what team you support. If you're listening to this, I, I don't write Leeds off. I think that Leeds still have a good chance, undefeated in five games before the weekend. They're playing for Jesse Marsh. There's an intensity about their game. They play Arsenal, but Arsenal, for me, against sides that have really turned up to play, have struggled. And I don't see that. Listen, I thought Arsenal would beat Brighton easily at home, and they lost. So bear in mind that a Leeds team fighting for their lives, they play an enterprising game with lots of personality about their, the way that they go about their business. They've got every chance. And Chelsea, as we say, you don't know which Chelsea's going to turn up. So on paper, those fixtures look difficult. But I still think there is every chance they could get something from those matches if they turn up with the kind of commitment we've seen in recent games. But just to say, I know you're angry at what they've done and... Really, the anger should be more at the referee than at the Leeds players because if he clamps down early, we don't with. see what we saw. That's I agree. What I started with. That's what I started with because I think it does come under the referee's remit to take the temperature out of the game. That was the key thing at the beginning of uh, the, the the part here, and I and I stand by that. You know, the referee's got a responsibility. He's the arbiter of the game. Uh, City made five changes. 
they always probably had more than enough, especially after they scored two soft goals uh, from set pieces. But it might have been very different had Rodrigo had scored in the aftermath of Jao Cancelo's slip, where he runs into the opposition territory, but he just doesn't have the pace to get away uh, from Gundogan, who did brilliantly to come back and cover. Um, it is a third straight win for Manchester City for the first time in 2022. And it has the feel, doesn't it, Crookie, of, of 2018-19, when mm. everyone just keeps winning over and over again. I think on that occasion, City won 14 games in a row towards the end of the season. And these two giants ended up finishing a point apart. That may well be the case again. Yeah, they're a point apart. I think there's one goal in it as well. It shows you how evenly matched they are. Sam Parkin gave me a great stat actually on Sunday. He said Liverpool in 2022 have only been behind for a combined 69 minutes. I mean, that is absolutely incredible. But it's also testament to Manchester City that Liverpool will probably still end up finishing second in the Premier League. And it really backs up uh, Darren's point that we are watching two thoroughbreds uh, of the Premier League era. And I can see them now both going on and, and winning every game. Therefore, it will come down to the last game of the season. But Manchester City will just pip it as they did back in 2019. OK, it's uh, time for the game day debate. Let's talk about what happened off the pitch at Ellen Road. Each of you will have 30 seconds to tell me where you stand on Leeds United's crowd. The Sky commentators, including Gary Neville, absolutely furious about the throwing of paper balls at the players. Now, social media seemed to take the view that this was just harmless fun and it's absolutely OK. So... The question is, was it mindless idiocy and it should be outlawed and dangerous or is it just an overreaction to a bit of hijinks and everyone was having a bit of fun? Jack Grealish took it all very well. Crook, your first, your 30 seconds starts now. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I don't necessarily share the, the ire of, of Gary Neville, director of the Leeds fans. I think he's stupid. Um, I think Leeds as a club might think twice before putting placards on seats that fans can screw up and throw at opposition players. And I think Jesse Marsh, again, has got to take a little bit of the blame because he came out and said before the game, this is the best club in the world because the fans are so passionate. He was trying to whip up and incite the crowd. I get that because it certainly worked for Everton at uh, Goodison Park on Sunday. But as a manager, I think... Right, you're done. Thank you very much. OK, Crookie, uh, let's turn to uh, Darren Lewis. Darren, you're off. Go. I have to admit, I'm with Crook. Um, listen, these were paper, these bits of rolled up paper. I think if you're talking about different types of missiles, then yes, be annoyed, be angry. But you saw the reaction of Jack Grealish. He had a smile on his face. Um, yes, it was disruptive. And yes, I understand that it was annoying that the players had to stop to take the bits of paper off the pitch. But I, I think a warning and a reminder to the fans that look, let's not disrupt the game of football that we've come to see might suffice going forward. I don't think it's any more uh, serious than that, in my opinion. Super. OK, I'm not sure whether Pep Guardiola was being sarcastic afterwards. He usually is. Uh, but he talked a little bit about the crowd and he said, it, you know, they, they weren't allowed to to, to have a crowd the last time they were there under Marcelo Bielsa because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. But you understand the stories about the legendary Ellen Road atmosphere after today. But it has been a season that's been littered with a few more serious incidents than the one we saw on Saturday. When they played Manchester United, it was 900 police officers and it was a war zone. It was an absolute war zone. It was a sea of bile and belligerence, hate and loathing. And all sorts of slurs were being used during that. There have been instances of people coming onto the pitch over the course of the season. In fact, I think Leeds United actually said that if kids now come onto the pitch asking players for shirts, they're going to ban the parents 
um, take their season tickets away to make them more responsible because they were concerned about the number of people that were coming onto the pitch after games. Stuff being thrown onto the pitch, stuff thrown at the dugouts. I was there uh, for Jesse Marsh's first home game and I think he had something thrown at his dugout that night as well. I'm not sure that there was too much wrong with what happened on Saturday because it was all very playful and it was just a bit of a joke and a laugh with Jack Grealish. But I'm also not 100% sure that the security and the culture there is right. Mm. I think there's something not quite right there and it could spill over if things start to go wrong. And, you know, you think that this is a situation where they could end up getting relegated at the end of the season. It could be a lot worse uh, than we've already seen and we do hope that it doesn't spill over. Like that. I like the fact we get 30 seconds and you get about two and a half minutes to say <laughs> your the, piece. That, that's, that's the benefit of being the host, but thank you very much for pointing that out. I've got the button, you haven't. And if you did have the button, we wouldn't let you push it because anything could happen. Right, okay, let's turn our attention to some of the other games at the bottom of the table, starting with Watford getting beaten at home again. Leeds versus the drop. Everton and their supporters breathe again. Ten points now from 12 for Mike Jackson since he took over from Sean Dyche. It's a proper relegation rumble. Leeds United lose for the first time in six games. 34 points. Arsenal and Chelsea next. We've been in squeaky bum time for, for the whole time I've been here, but we've handled it well. We've stayed calm, we've stayed focused, and we've managed to, to still get some results. So that's what we'll have to continue to do, is just keep our heads down and keep fighting. Limbs in the away end to our right-hand side, and no surprise from the travelling Burnley support. It's Josh Brownhill with the goal. They've turned this one round in the last five minutes. We've just got to make sure we just keep picking up points, chipping away at that scoreboard. As soon as I've got in here, I understood the challenge, and then the challenge comes in so many different ways, and there's so many things I want to do here, but the first thing is to stay in the league. If Burnley or Leeds get another point, Watford are down. I think I've done my maths right there. Is that right? I think it's true. Uh, And that after Burnley came back from a goal down in the final 10 minutes of their game at Vicarage Road to beat Watford and confirm Norwich's relegation. The Hornets must now win all of their remaining matches and achieve a significant goal difference swing whilst hoping that all the other results go their way to remain in the top flight. I think we can say with some degree of certainty, Crook, that that is impossible. Yeah, they're down. Uh, it will probably be confirmed this weekend because obviously they have to win to prolong their stay in the Premier League and hope results go their way. I thought they actually played quite well in the first half in this game. Got the early goal from um, a really good ball whipped in and, and well taken as well, but just didn't build on that. They slowly allowed Burnley to get back into the game. Ben Foster has made a couple of excellent saves, the Watford goalkeeper, and I thought Burnley were, were good value. They just showed a bit more hunger, a bit more desire, um, it, it's a shame that we won't see Roy Hodgson's sunglasses in the Premier League too much yeah. next season. I mean, that was some look that he was trying to rock at Vicarage Road at the weekend. But we won't miss them. We won't miss their hiring and firing of managers and their random choice of coaching selection. We won't miss their football too much. So, yeah, they deserve to go down. They are one of the three worst teams. I, I, one of the things that really confused me on Saturday was not just Roy Hodgson's glasses. I, apparently, he looked... Um, like he was chillaxing, sitting on a beach with the shades on. But actually, I understand he was quite ill, actually, in the build-up to the game, which is why I didn't really move much from the dugout and Ray Lewington did the post-match interviews. But he did. He was rocking these sunglasses, and then halfway through the game, he wasn't wearing them. 
all, all the, I don't know if it's tinted lenses and they'd gone really dark because it was really sunny at one point and then they'd disappeared again halfway through. But it was really strange. It was like the, the camera shot was like, here's Roy Hodgson looking like Roy Orbison. Here's Roy Hodgson looking <laughs> like Sven and Eriksson. And he's back to Roy Orbison again. Brilliant. Fantastic stuff. Um, he's going to retire, obviously, at the end of the season again. Um, I don't think he'll be back in Premier League football. Do you, Darren? No, I don't. Um, and it's a really sad way for him to go out because of the 17 clubs that he's managed this Watford are, are easily the most shambolic. Now, I'm going to kind of couch that by saying that there are good people at Watford, people who do, don't deserve relegation, people whose jobs might even come into question as a result of the club going down. So I'm always careful about expressing any kind of sentiment that suggesting that they deserve it because those people are innocent. They're not responsible for, in a footballing context, of course, um, they don't deserve what will come as a result of players not giving their commitment and the club not having a cohesive strategy. But in one of the toughest leagues in the world, you simply cannot just get a collection of players, throw them together and try to get a manager to make it work. And then at the first point that manager has a problem, like Cisco did after he took Watford into the Premier League, you yeah. chuck him overboard. You the, can't do the, it. The issue the issue is, is ultimately, this is the best league in the world. You know, when you talk about European Super League, this is it. This is the Super League. This is the best league that there is right now. And that's sort of maybe exemplified by the fact that we're likely to have an, an all-English Champions League final. There's every chance that we could have an English team in the Europa League final. It might not be. I mean, that's touch and go. But, you know, we're getting to the latter stage of all these competitions. In fact, you know, of the quarter-finalists, three of the quarter-finalists were, were English out of the four that come out of the league. Um, so, ultimately, you cannot expect, and I think we all admit as well, that the, the league's actually been upgraded this year. There's better teams around that can cause problems. So, if you're trying to just bolt together a couple of players that you think might do a job here and there and then throw a coach at it and say, go on, get on with it, lad. It isn't going to work over the long term. That said, Michael Jackson was given a, an opportunity when no one expected him to get one and he's taken it. He's given the players their head. He's turned the situation on its head. He's given them the freedom to express themselves. They've certainly got more numbers in the box now than they ever did under Sean Dyche earlier in the season. And by flooding the box and committing more bodies forward, they've got more goals. And even when... They were 1-0 down yesterday. They didn't start particularly well. But in the second half, they certainly had more chances. They should have won the game. They eventually did. They turned it over with 10 minutes to go. And I must admit, the Brownhill finish for the winner was absolutely excellent. And the celebration where he ran the length of the pitch to go to the Burnley fans was even better. Yeah, it shows the, 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 the team spirit and, and the character that's running through that dressing room now. I do think we, we all question the decision to get rid of Sean Dyche, but I think now we have to say with, with the benefit of hindsight, it was the right decision. Uh, Mike Jackson has actually taken more points in his short tenure than all three uh, Watford managers this season when you break them up individually. So that's um, some <laughs> stat which probably tells you why Watford are going down. But I think the biggest example of where Burnley have improved under him is Dwight McNeil, because I mentioned a few weeks ago when we were talking about players that Burnley could possibly sell this summer that his stats just didn't justify a, a big money return to the Premier League should they get relegated. That's changing now because he's showing much more end product. He's more like the Dwight McNeil of old because Mike Jackson has given him 
and Burnley the freedom to play. And you're right, it was a great goal from Brownhill. He's got that in his locker uh, to shoot from long range. But again, he's got the belief now and his ability and the confidence of his manager to let fly from that kind of distance. Whereas maybe under Sean Dyche, it was all a bit safe. But, but that's the thing, isn't it? It's about management, isn't it? And sometimes, you know, you, you, it's like bringing the best out of people. It's like you, for example. I mean, you were on the shelf. No one wanted you. I brought you into the Game Day podcast. I put my arm around you and you flourished <laughs> as a result of that. Sometimes you just got to, in the words of Darren Lewis, sometimes... This is the time for lovemaking. Exactly. Oh, and stop when you, it. When you, <laughs> and when you do that and you give someone a little bit of love, it brings the best out of them. Um, right, OK. Aston Villa 2, Norwich nil. Norwich are down. It's official. It's done. A lot of people probably rush to judgment, especially over the course of this season, and say that they are the worst team since Derby County to grace the Premier League. Crook, where would you stand on that very quickly? Is that a yes or no? It's an emphatic yes from me. I think they've contributed nothing to the Premier League. They've had two managers, small upturn when Dean Smith came in, but never really looked like they were striving for survival. The recruitment in the summer was poor. They'll probably win the championship next season because that's not a very good league. But what's the point if you're just going to yo-yo between divisions? That, that In the end, surely for fans, that becomes tiresome. Is that a quick yes or no answer? Not really, but okay. It was certainly uh, more sustained than any pressure that uh, Norwich put anyone under over the course of the season. Um, but I want to mention you a couple of examples. Are we forgetting already just how bad Sheffield United were last year? And how bad Norwich were in 1920 when they only got 21 points. And what about Sunderland in 2002-03? They were bad when Howard Wilkinson appointed Howard Wilkinson. Villa under Remy Gard, that was dreadful. They got 17 points that season. And Huddersfield, they only got 16 the year they went down. So, I mean, there's been a lot worse teams than Norwich if you look at it statistically. So it was a loaded question, Darren. Yeah, I just to you up. <laughs> he, was, you were teeing, he was teeing you up so that he can give you his stats that he's pre-prepared. No, but I just think sometimes you just go, oh, he, 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 you've been saying all season that they're the worst team that there's ever played in the Premier League. Or they're garbage. They but they, they aren't as bad. There's been even worse, which is, I think, even more worrying. I, I listen, all I think is that however bad they, they may have been and how bad they were in relation to those teams of the past, the facts are that they have got to find a way to get out this negative spiral of going up, not doing anything and coming straight back down again because they won't be able to attract players. They won't be able to build anything lasting and meaningful. Um, and uh, they, as far as the club are concerned, that that's no existence because eventually that sequence will stop and you'll be marooned in the championship. There's got to be yeah. something that you've built for all of the money that you've yeah. taken from getting into the Premier League. You must surely have a foundation to build something that gives you the chance to do a Brentford, for example, or a Crystal Palace. If you've been up that many times and you've gone back down, then something is fundamentally wrong with the way that you are approaching uh, trying to stay in the top flight. I was looking at some of the recruitment issues over the course of uh, this season. And, you know, when Crookie had his little rant about uh, um, Norwich City, they sort of came back, always came back with this sort of, I know, we spent 50 million this summer. You know, we've had a better go uh, than we've ever had before. And, and and that is true. They just spent that 50 million pounds badly. They spent... And they sold Buendia. So it, was, it wasn't 50, it was it 50 million It wasn't pound. 50 real million. Exactly. It, it, was, it, was, it was just a 50 million. Uh, Milot Rusitska, 9.4 million quid. Not good enough. Christos Solis, 
has he ever played? 8.8 million pounds. Ben Gibson, 8 million pounds. He had to be taken out of the team at one point. Josh Sargent, not good enough. Verder Bremen, 8 million pounds. 6.4 million quid for Dimitris Yananoulis, who actually was their second choice left back over the course of the season. Angus Gunn, 5 million quid. He couldn't dislodge Tim Krull, who's older than Darren. Um, Pierre-Louis... You've done uh, that gag before you know that, don't you? Have we? Well, we, we're repeating it for our viewers now. We've got, we got new people getting involved in this programme all the time. Uh, Pierre... Listen, the point that you're, the, but all those names you're reeling off underline my point. If you're a club that goes into the Premier League, doesn't really show any real ambition to stay there, doesn't lay any foundation to stay there, how are you going to attract anything other than gambles, other than people who will say, all right, I'll take Brentford the money. Brentford make gambles and some of them pay off. Yeah, but their foundations are far more substantive than Norwich, and that's the point I'm trying to make. They have a plan. They have ambition. They listen. You, Anyone you, can you, have you, a plan and ambition, can't they? I mean, you just have to have the yeah, good but people the, well, making well, the plan. Well, well, cool your jets. Listen, if you think about it, you look at the players that. Uh, Brentford have, have brought in they've gone to clubs where promising young players and not getting a game and they've said to those players come to us we will help you to realise your potential yes. they've got players who Frank has worked with as part of the Denmark setup. He's he's got quality already they scout with intelligence they don't just make gambles like Norwich are doing because they are so transient when it comes to staying Norwich in the top flight that? What's stopping Norwich doing that? The point is, it's not that I disagree with that. I agree with it wholeheartedly. But what is stopping Norwich doing it? They have to do something like that. There's nothing stopping them. But that's my point, Sam. There is nothing stopping them, but they are not doing it. And Stuart Webber will come out and he'll do another interview where he has a go at all the people who are having a go at the club. But it's not having a go as such. It's basically looking at the evidence of our own eyes, looking at the numbers, looking at the performances, looking at the lack of quality Correct. and saying you cannot possibly hope to stay in the Premier League you if you don't do aspire better. to be better. It is possible to do better there is not- sure Weber's mantra is, is part of the problem but you know when the sporting director comes out and says we're happy to be one of the top 22 clubs in the country therefore we're happy 26. to get promoted 26. and we're happy to get relegated that seeps into the dressing room and this there, is what no started it this is what started on, those, on that this, group of players last year on the game day podcast i said that to you and you went off on a ran. You got all the flack for it, which was quite good for me. Uh, but but that's what started it. That that phrase started the whole thing because you cannot aspire to be something that's fa- that fails because that's what it is. Accepting you're in the top twenty six means that you're okay with relegation. And if you put that little seed of doubt in players' mind that it's okay to be relegated, do you know what? Especially if they're not good enough, they will get relegated. That will happen. But other teams have stayed up for at least a season. Sheffield United stayed up for at least a season. Huddersfield, rubbish, stayed up for at least a season. Now, why can't Norwich City seem to do that? That is something that needs to be addressed in the summer. Um, before they before they bring in a single player, they need to sit down and, and, and work out as you say, why this keeps happening. There is no point in them going on another recruitment uh, plan and whatever else if they don't say, how are we going to have something that is substantive to build on rather than try and win loads of games, be champions, go in the Premier League and basically pull the ripcord and come down with the parachute again. And if they need me to go along and do some motivational speaking, (laughs) I am available. (laughs) Right, Okay. the rest of the games, very quickly, Wolves nil, uh, Brighton 3 um, Wolves' recent slump could end their European dreams. A 3-0 home defeat to Bright on Saturday saw Bruno Large's uh, side 
failed to close the gap to the top seven. Um, Wolves on the beach. There were penalties galore in this one. I would talk about all the sort of VAR decisions, but it's kind of pointless. I'll congratulate Brighton, uh, who have now set a new club record for 44 points in the Premier League, and they are in the top half of the table. But Crookie, the most important thing about this is that there has been a fight at the training ground of Wolves. They're all annoyed with one another. They're kicking off. They're not happy. Neto's unhappy about the fact. I saw some quotes from him saying, we let ourselves down. We had these dreams and they've been dashed, etc., etc." It's all kicking off at Wolves. Yeah, there were some rumours circulating on social media, I think even before the game, that there'd been some kind of training ground row involving the manager, Bruno Large, uh, Raul Jimenez, who's been in, in and out of the team of late. And I think Johnny was the other player that was mentioned. So I did some digging on this, spoke to somebody pretty uh, closely linked with Wolves, and he confirmed that there has been some kind of incident in training. It might explain why Bruno Large was so grumpy after the game, really critical of his players' efforts. So maybe all is not well behind the scenes at Wolves. Now, it's a big summer for Wolves because people like Ruben Neves are highly sought after by other clubs, Samedo, um, as well as I understand it, is attracting interest from a couple of the big boys in Spain. So it, it might be quite a turbulent summer at Wolves. And I do wonder if, bearing in mind the way that they have fallen away towards the back end of the season, again, maybe Bruno Large um, could be a bit under the microscope. Listen, they've had a fabulous season by and large. I, I don't think that they're, they're particularly pleasing on the eye, but that was a really poor performance the weekend. And maybe that training ground uh, incident that we believe has taken place might be behind it. You wouldn't want to be a football manager, would you, Darren? I mean, your tenure is incredibly short. I mean, Bruno Large, he never never had a chance at the beginning of the season. Everybody wrote him off and said, who the hell is this guy? Who's Carlos Carverhouse's assistant at Swansea? Why, why are Wolves recruiting him? Midway through the half of the season, everyone's saying, well, Bruno Large, you could be manager of the year. Now, Crookie's saying that he could be out of his ear. I mean, this is this this is the life of a football manager, isn't it? This is this is why Steve Bruce won't move into the West Brom area because he, he's too far for him to go and he knows he's going to get sacked eventually. Listen, I think they'd be crazy to sack Bruno Large. I think he's been terrific for the club. They were two strikers away from really challenging for a top six place. They still are in and around it. And although there are a few angry people in and around the club, actually, I think it's a good thing. I think it means they care. I think it means that they're not basically thinking, sorry to say, a little bit like Norwich, you know, oh, well, you know, we'll go again next season. These are players who, this is a proper inquest. This is, and, and, and the passion is spilling over. And obviously we don't condone what we think has happened at the club. And obviously, Crookie, you being on top of all that, we'll hear more from you as the days go on. But I think as far as Wolves are concerned, they are a hungry club. They want to do better. They want to be higher up the table. And I think the upshot of this will surely be the club investing in the, capab in, in the kind of capable strikers that would enable them to be part of that European conversation next season. Maybe. Maybe it might be just what the title race needed because, OK, they've got Chelsea next weekend, but then they play Manchester City at home. Wolverhampton Wanderers. Imagine all spiced up for that. They're a little bit of a bust up. They're going for it. And then Liverpool think, wow, we're going to win the title now because they've dusted up Manchester City. And then their next game is against Liverpool away from home on the final day of the season. So they could still have a big say in what happens this season. Uh, Crystal Palace uh, beat Southampton by two goals to one at St Mary's and Patrick Vieira uh, praised the character of his Crystal Palace players after they came from a goal down uh, to win that game. 
You can't really praise the character of the Southampton players, though. Before the game, Ralph Hasenhutter was talking about a top 10 finish and the extra dosh that comes with finishing higher up the league. He should be worrying about the other end. Are you 100% sure that Southampton is safe, Crookie? I am, because history tells us that 40 points is more than enough to stay in the Premier League. I hello, think, hello, uh, hello, is that Joe Cole? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you're going back a long time uh, since West Ham got 42 points and were relegated. I think I heard all sequences stat. come to an end. I mean, Manchester United went 26 years without winning a title before they did. I mean, these things do come back eventually. I mean, you might have to wait another 26 years, but why, why have you put that shot in there? Um, I heard a stat on Saturday night that uh, it's 10 years since the team had 37 points Correct. and went down. So I think Southampton with 40 points in the bag are safe, but it's it's been a troubling end to the season. It will hit them. Financially, they've lost Tino Livramento. Armando Broya's form uh, has fallen off the proverbial cliff as well. One goal in his last 14 games. I'm not sure that Southampton are as desperate to keep him now, uh, certainly on a permanent contract as maybe they were in January. We'll see how that one unfolds. But just on Crystal Palace, Wilf Zaha, who's got a bit of previous at St Mary's, he's been sent off there. He likes a bit of a confrontation with James Ward-Prowse. Brilliant winning goal from him. He did make some uh, comments in the mix zone afterwards, speaking to the, the, the written journalists. Uh, when he was asked about his long-term future, he said, wait and see. He's out of contract at the end of next season. Palace have got a decision to make there. So has Wilf Sahar, because if he's going to get that move to one of the bigger clubs that he craves, it's now or never really. And I would imagine that Crystal Palace are already trying to put a new contract in front of him. Yeah, I, certainly. He, I mean, if they're going to sell him, it's going to be this summer, isn't it? And you never know what's going to happen with him. But the reason I brought up the Southampton's thing is because they have got 40 points, but they've played more games than everybody else at the bottom of the table. They're the only team that have played 35 games, uh, Darren Lewis. And they've got to play Brentford away from home. That's not an easy fixture, especially in the context of the fact that they've been incredibly poor and can't even beat a Crystal Palace team that actually have their season's finished as well. They've got to play Liverpool at home. I mean, the saving grace might be that they go to Leicester on the uh, final day of the season and Leicester might have or have already had a conference league final to play or whatever. That's, you know, we're making assumptions there. But it hasn't been very good, actually, since the takeover in January. And I just wonder whether or not the new boss, the new overlord at St Mary's might be thinking, oh, I'm not sure this Ralph Harsenhutl bloke, who Crookie was tipping as the next Manchester United manager not so long ago, is all he's cracked up to be. What do you think? Um, it'd be crazy to think so because I think Hassan Hoodle is decent with what he has to work with. I do think that they could do with uh, an injection of quality. And, you know, when these people take over uh, the, these owners and, and, and they look at the person in charge and they say, look, is he that good? I think the first place they should be looking at is at themselves. If you're going to take over a football club, then there has to be a reason for you doing that. And after all your talk about your ambition, you've got to back that up. You look at the people who took over at Burnley, um, how much have they really invested? I mean, what, two, three players? Not that much. Uh, I look at Southampton. Has the owners really jazzed up that squad in quite the same way that we expected not, them to. Not, not yet, Darren, but maybe they just want to be a top 26 club. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, Darren Lewis, the assistant editor of The Mirror. Thank you. Alex Crook, Sports football correspondent. Thank you. Uh, we're back on Thursday. However you're watching, listening and getting in touch with us and keeping along with the Game Day podcast, keep doing it. It's available on YouTube. It's available on the TalkSport app and it's available on Spotify and all your podcast uh, platforms. Keep listening. Keep telling everyone about it. Uh, we love to hear from you at Sam Matterface on Twitter at 
Alex underscore Crook and at, at Mira Darren, I think it is, yeah. Um, get in touch with us and we'll try and get back to you. We are back on uh, Thursday ahead of the weekend in the Premier League. Looking forward to that. But between now and then, there's loads of European football and talk. Stay tuned. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.